Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, Inspired Church. How is everybody doing this morning? Yo, 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 this is not a funeral, amen? God is good. Let's be a, <laughs> amen, God is good, and I'm so loud, that's why it's so funny every time I get such a quiet response. I just want to let everyone know that we are in summer in the Psalms, and we are immersing ourselves in the Psalms. We're preaching the Psalms, like I said, praying the Psalms, reading the Psalms. Hopefully, we would inspire you to get in the Psalms. Um, as you know, some of you may or may not know, we started in Psalm 50, so as a church, we've been reading a Psalm every day. If you're not following us in any one of our social medias, you can follow us and find us. We're posting a daily psalm. Um, right now, I believe we're in Psalm 55, um, starting on Monday. And so for five days a week, we are just reading uh, chapters together. And so if you haven't gathered with a group of people and decided to read and, and journal together, I just want to encourage you guys to continue to immerse yourself in the psalms. Amen. Amen. But before we do that, just a, a brief special announcement, um, something that's really, really important. Dave and Marie, will you stand up just a quick second and just do a little quick spin, maybe? Uh, Dave and Marie, st stand. There you go. And take a look at everyone. Let's just get real awkward about it. I know. <laughs> uh, I want you guys to uh, mark your calendars. I want you guys to know that God has blessed uh, Dave and Marie with an incredible opportunity. And, um, you know, you know, as people who are parents in this room or whatnot, you know, as much as you want to like hold on to your children sometimes, not saying you're my kids, but um, sometimes some kids stay and sometimes God sends some kids out. And that's what the body of Christ is all about. And Marie and Dave have been given an amazing opportunity to do what they love, to serve the Lord passionately, um, and also just an incredible opportunity to continue to build the kingdom outside of Inspired Church. How many of you know that like the kingdom of God is bigger than this church? Amen. That's a hard lesson sometimes, but it is so much bigger. And um, I'm just so proud of you. I love you. I'm cried out, but I'm going to cry again at many, many points. But I want you guys to know that July 23rd is going to be their last service with us. And if you've been, you guys have been here since like dance studio, you, Marie led worship, and they've just been with us every step of the way. And, um, and I just, you know, I am just, I would love to just keep them forever, but God has other things for them. And I am not going to stand in the way of the Lord. Amen. And so here's what I want to do. I know this is kind of like abrupt, but we, the next couple of weeks, they're going to be here with us. So I want to encourage you, like, take them to lunch. Take them to dinner. Give them a Pentecostal handshake. Y'all know what that is? Some of you Baptists have no clue. I mean, put money in your hand and give them a handshake. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, just, I just want you guys uh, to, to just love them, to bless them. They are a part of this body. We're not going to do a full send-off today. We are just making the announcement. And so you would mark your calendars in three weeks, July 23rd. They're going to worship with us. And then we are going to pray, we are going to cry, and we are going to celebrate. They're not moving out of the Bay Area, but God is just repositioning them. And they'll share a little bit more about that as well. Um, I know it was extremely hard for both. We sat 
at Suju's and all three of us started to cry. It looked really weird. Um, and, uh, but nonetheless, like, uh, this is a time of celebration, but it is kind of a time of grieving. You don't like, you grieve because you love people, you know? And so, um, I know they'll be back <laughs> and, um, they're forever ours <laughs> in some way. They're gods, they're gods. But, um, but I want you guys to mark your calendars and, uh, July 23rd, they will be worshiping with us. They're going to bless us. And then we're just going to spend that day just, um, having a conversation, letting you guys know what's next in their life. And we want to bless them. So can we pack this house and show love to Dave and Marie? Um, we love you guys so, so much. I know I have you standing up. Um, we'll save some more awkwardness for later. But um, just, just wanted to prepare the congregation's heart as we begin to celebrate what God is doing next in their lives. And they're going to take, obviously, a little bit of Inspire with them wherever they go. So love you guys. One more round of applause for Dave and Marie. And again, mark your calendars. Thank you. They'll be with us the next three weeks. Um, and so love you guys so much. Love you guys so much. Um, with that being said, if you have your Bible, it's turned to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Um, as you guys know, we are walking through the Psalms together. I just want to even point out in our resource center, um, we have a resource for you. So if you want to engage in the Psalms, if you want something to kind of parallel your reading, um, this is actually a reflection on the Psalms by C.S. Lewis. And so we'll have it out here for you on the resource center. If you just want to take a look, take a picture of it, you want to order it because during this summer, you just want to go deeper in your journey. Um, this is definitely a recommended resource uh, as we immerse ourselves in the Psalms. And I just want to remind you, a church that is not being immersed in the Psalms is a church that's not really learning how to pray. Like, is there anyone in this room, maybe like sometimes when you pray, you don't know what to say? And maybe you've even been a Christian for a very long time, but you're very even insecure about your ability to pray. Well, I want you to know that if you want to learn how to, how to speak to God, even wrestle with God. Yes, I said wrestle with God. Immerse yourself in the Psalms. The second thing I want to remind you is a church that is not being immersed in the Psalms is really a church that's not learning to deal with their difficult emotions. Not, is a church that's not learning to deal with their difficult feelings. Anybody in here have deep, heavy, difficult emotions and feelings? And a lot of times, we've been told as Christians to just shut them up. But the Psalms expresses them, and the Psalms teach us how to express them redemptively so that God would be glorified even in our most kind of deepest, darkest places and spaces. And so we'll talk even a little bit more about that this morning, but that's why the summer in the Psalms is so important. And so speaking of dealing with emotions uh, and dealing with kind of deep feelings, um, this morning, I've entitled today's message, Disillusioned by Doubt. Any doubters in here? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, disillusioned by doubt. Have you ever discovered something about someone <laughs> that so deeply disappointed you that it caused you to question and doubt every good thing that you previously thought about them? Have you ever kind of thought somebody to be something and then maybe you discovered or you witnessed or you saw or you experienced something and all of a sudden everything that you thought, you started to question? That's, that's what disillusionment is. 
And this is exactly what happened to the author of today's text. Can I get an amen? But but I want to tell you about this author. This author in today's text, they weren't disillusioned with a leader. They weren't disillusioned with a friend. They weren't even disillusioned by a family member, but they were disillusioned with God. And so I love today's psalm, not just because it honestly addresses doubt. I love today's psalm because of who wrote the psalm. Uh, This wasn't a skeptic or an unbeliever. This wasn't just a member of the church. The person who wrote this morning's psalm was a leader. He was a director of worship in the house of God. And so I want you to know in this room that maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you're a skeptic of Christianity today. And you have no problem embracing your doubt. Praise God. I hope this message would speak to you. But I also want to speak to the leaders or the, the supposed mature people in the room that you have some doubts too, but you're afraid to open them up. And so I love this song because it not only deals with disillusionment with God, but it deals with somebody who is supposed to be a leader, someone who is supposed to be at the forefront, someone who is supposed to be the example. And so what do you do when people look to you to be the one of faith and yet you have deep doubts? Amen? Psalm 73, and we're going to read the entire psalm, so it'll be 28 verses, amen? Psalm 73, verses 1 through 28, we'll have it for you here on the screen. The scripture says like this, truly God is good to Israel. Amen. It's almost like the worship leader stands up here and says, God is good. Okay. If you, you got that. God is good. And all the time. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now watch what he says. But as for me, it would almost be like if David Marie came up here leading worship and said, God is good. Everyone said all his time, all his, and everyone said all the time. And then he said, but not to me. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn. Turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Verse 12. Behold, the wicked are always at ease. They increase in riches. Anybody ever thought that? (laughs) For all day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. This is the leader saying, if I would have told you how I really feel, the congregation probably would have started to doubt as well. He said, now this is all deep inside of me, but I didn't want to say anything because I have so much influence over the body of Christ. Are you with me? 
Verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, amen? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Y'all, like, what a powerful song. Like, we just entered into the process. And so, the way that I've divided this morning's psalm is into three categories the wrestle, the reason, and the resolve. The wrestle the reason and the resolve. Amen. And to be honest, I'm really not sure if I'm going to finish today's message because I've made it clear in my mind that I'm not going to keep you trapped in here for an hour. And so I may abruptly stop somewhere. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit. I really want to get through this. You may feel like it's not even finished, um, but I'm just going to trust the Lord. There's just so much in here. I just kept writing and writing and writing, and I already write too much anyway. And so praise God, I'm going to get out of my own way, and we're going to dive right in. Verses 1 and 2 reveals the wrestle, and we're going to spend a little time with the wrestle. Amen? Verses 1 and 2 reveals the wrestle with doubt, the warfare, like doubt is war. And though you may not be fighting a physical battle, there is a war on the inside. There is a tension. There is a wrestle. Amen. And so verse 1 and 2 reveals the wrestle with doubt that was taking place on the inside of the psalmist. And can I just say this? Praise God for his radical honesty. Is there anybody in this room that's thankful that the Bible doesn't hide its concerns? I mean, the Bible is written by the Holy Spirit. So this is God writing doubt, doubting himself in the text. This is God saying, I'm going to bless my people with my word. And I'm going to inspire this leader in the body of Christ to be real, to be honest, to be open, to be vulnerable about his doubts. I wish we had more pastors, more leaders in the church that were not afraid to be honest. That we'd stop that we would stop performing and stop acting like Christianity is so good because many of you would realize it's not all that it cracks up to be sometimes. I'm already over my limit. I'm thankful for his courageous vulnerability and I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit saw it fit to allow this to be written in the holy text. And I think his courageous vulnerability compels us to be honest, don't you think? Don't you think? What do you do when your reality confronts your theology? 
What do you do when your circumstances test your doctrine? What do you do when your situation threatens your dogma? God is good, but I'm not going to really say that. I don't think he's really good. What do you do? How do you feel when what you are experiencing seems to be contradicting what you are trying to believe to be true of God? What do you do? How do you feel? Where do you go? What do you say? This is the warfare. This is the warfare. This is the wrestle of doubt. On one hand, the psalmist makes a statement of faith. God is good. It's a statement of faith. It's a doctrine. It's a belief in who God is, his very nature. And on one hand, the psalmist makes a statement of faith. God is good. But on the other hand, he follows it up with an expression of doubt. But as for me, I almost slipped. In other words, though my mind thinks he's good, there's something that I'm seeing. There's something that I'm experiencing. There's something that I'm facing right now. That is threatening what I claim to be true. And so like a rock climber who suddenly loses his footing. Moving from stable ground to shaky ground. I said like a rock climber who suddenly loses his footing. And moves from, 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 from stable ground to shaky ground. Something suddenly happened to the psalmist. That caused him to doubt God's goodness. And it almost cost him his faith. To the point where he said, if I actually would have said something, I might have caused the whole congregation to stumble. I feel like that sometimes. I feel like sometimes you worship man so much that if I were to fail or if I were to stumble, I wonder if half of these people would leave and say, this wasn't real. That's pressure. And I'm not here to get your applause. The Lord raised me up for this. But I want you to say, be careful who you idolize. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, perfect in every way. And I'm not preparing you to expose myself. I'm just saying, I'm a man, I'm a sinner. There was so much pressure on this psalmist. He's I can't even say anything. Because if I do, the people who follow me will stumble. And so he doubted the goodness of God, and it almost cost him his faith. I wonder if there's anyone in this room right now that feels like they're there. And I wonder if there's a leader in this room that feels like they're there. What do I mean by that? You know God provides, but you've been laid off for months, and the bills are piling up. Rent is due, food needs to be on the table, and so God is a provider, and yet you ain't seeing it. Are you with me? You know God heals, but you're still sick, still in pain, and there's nothing the doctors can do. You know God forgives, but you can't seem to shake the guilt and the shame. Anybody in this room, or is that just me? You know God is present, but you're still alone, and you still feel lonely, and you can be in a room full of people and you still feel it. You know God is good, but you can't understand why he allows evil and suffering. 
You believe in the power of prayer, but you've been praying and nothing is happening. Nothing is shifting and nothing is changing. Am I the only one who struggles with doubt? This is the battleground. That's the warfare. When you're wrestling to reconcile what you are currently seeing and experiencing versus what you're trying to believe is true. That's the intersection of doubt. Like that's doubt. When what you're seeing, sensing, feeling, and experiencing, you're trying to reconcile that with what you're trying to know to be true of God. There are two ways that we typically tend to deal with doubt. You guys doing okay? I'm a little aggressive this morning. I know my mama is okay. She likes that. There are two ways that people typically tend to deal with doubt. Are you ready? Number one, common in religious circles. You know, religious, right? Like you like to look good. Amen? God is good all the time. Right? How you doing, brother? Blessed, highly favored. All of the cliches come out. Right? This is what happens. Common in religious circles, we suppress doubt. And we're taught that. We're taught that, whether, whether it's taught like overtly or it's like implied subconsciously in church. Because if you were to admit your doubt, you would be admitting your weakness or your rebelliousness to God. How dare you question God? So what do they do? They ignore doubt. They avoid doubt or they push it down. You've ever been in a swimming pool and you've had a ball and you just play around, you push it down. What happens when you push that ball down the swimming pool? Just shoots right back up. Like that's what suppressing doubt does. You can avoid it, ignore it, deny it, push it down. But one day, guess what? It's going to keep popping back up. But you know what the problem is? This is disingenuous. Right? I mean, one thing, you know, I know we have these culture wars, you know, boomers, Xers, millennials, Zs, As, Bs. I don't know what else we have. Right, But all these different generations have their flaws that we pick out, but they also have their beautiful elements, right? And it's one thing that we see about this generation is like, I want to be honest. I want to be real even with my feelings. Like, I want to express myself. I don't want to hide. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to perform. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And you don't want to be disingenuous. And so to deny, to reject, and to suppress is not to be honest. And doesn't the scripture say, actually in a psalm, and if you're reading the psalm, you would have known that it happened maybe on Monday or Tuesday, where there's this particular point in the psalm where the scripture says that God delights in truth in the inward parts. Right? God wants you to be real and honest and true even on the inside. And so if you were to suppress, deny, are you with me? You're not being genuine. You're not being honest with yourself. And you're not being honest with God. Another problem with suppression, if we are constantly suppressing our doubts, then we are constantly missing opportunities to strengthen our faith. Oh, you don't believe me, I could tell, because everyone's looking at me like. Listen, if we never question what the pastor says, some of y'all have been there, right? If we just freely accept what the Sunday school teacher teaches, then the moment someone comes along and pokes holes, you're going to panic. Yeah. 
something that I've learned that I think is a good rule of thumb. If it can't be questioned, it's not worth believing. And if it's, tr- and if it's true, it'll stand up to scrutiny. Therefore, we should not be insecure about exposing our beliefs to questions. Now, you don't believe me. Write this down, take a picture, or don't do anything with it. But here it is. We don't grow without doubts. Some of you, you have not grown in your faith because you suppressed a long time ago. And so you're just a suppressor. And there's a lack of growth. There's a lack of fruit because there's something that you've been doubting. You've just been suppressing. Are you with me? A confident faith is a faith that has wrestled with doubt and withstood all kinds of questioning and scrutiny. Is that dangerous? <laughs> What's another way people commonly tend to deal with doubt? This is more commonly like among the opposite of the religious folks, like secular folks, kind of non-Christians, all these others, right? What, what do they do? They surrender to it, right? Surrender to doubt, right? We can allow every questionable circumstance to just so easily shake us that we never land anywhere, that we never land anywhere. Like we don't stand for anything. We're never confident in any kind of transcendent truth. There's no anchor. There's no anchor to your life. Are you with me? There are no roots. There's no like prevailing, transcending conviction. It's just live by your feelings and live by your emotions. It's our postmodern world. It's like how I feel is how I go. Yeah. And so, you, and so you, you're like a wind. You're like weed in the wind. You're just every toss to and fro. And you allow your feelings to consume you. And you allow your emotions to control you. And for some, at some point, you bought into the idea that conviction and belief and, and, and a secure rock to stand on is, is, is disillusionment. No roots, no anchor, easily swayed. But can I just offer you this? Let me offer you, the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says this. I want you to notice, he says, we walk by faith and not sight. There's a really important word there. It's the word sight. He didn't say we walk by faith and not reason. Oh, y'all don't hear me. He didn't say like we walk by faith, right? And because we're stupid. Because we're like intellectually inferior. So we just kind of believe things without having any grounding. Christianity has grounding. It's logical. It's beautiful. I want you to even know that there are objections to the faith and Christianity has answers. Like don't be afraid. There's answers. Ask somebody. Come to me. Come to Pastor Roger. Come to others. Christianity has answers even to the things you're scared to ask. Paul says we walk by faith. That's not a stupid faith or an illogical faith. But he did say we don't walk by sight. And so you have to be very, very careful that you don't change or switch up because something has an illusion. That's what disillusionment is. Right? There's an illusion that's being taken away, that's being stripped. You can still be reasonable, still be logical, still hold on to the truths of God despite what your feelings, emotions, or even what you're seeing and how your processing is saying. So how do we deal with doubt, right? 
I love this. Pastor Tim Keller always talks about, you know, a, a gospel third way, <laughs> you know? So you have the, the uber religious folks suppressing it. And then you have, you know, the secular folks just kind of exploring it. But there's a gospel third way that's right here in the text. You know what it is? The word of God does not suggest that we suppress nor surrender, but to do what the psalmist is doing. What was he doing? The word of God invites us to process our doubts in the presence of God. To write them down, to pray them out, to process them in the presence of God. He's not scared of your questions. He's not scared. That's what's going on. That's what we're reading. We are reading the psalmist processing his doubt in the presence of God. I wish somebody would get excited about that. And then he writes it. And then he's like, we're going to sing about this too because he's a choir master. He's a director of music. You know, we're going to put this to a song. <laughs> Worship team, you got us another song to sing next week. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Lord, why? <laughs> <laughs> the wicked always prosper. <laughs> I don't know how to sing it. I'm definitely not the choir master. <laughs> it's like an emo song. <laughs> I know what you're thinking about that, right? <laughs> Somebody needs to put that meme up with the guy with the hair. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Moving on. I lost half my congregation when I said emo. It's like, what? Maybe we'll do a whole series, just emo psalms. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> right, so, so here's what we're going to do right now. How am I doing my time? Okay. We're going to move, Lord, just <laughs> stop the sun. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Cause their bellies not to hunger. <laughs> uh, we're going to move from the wrestle in verses 1 and 2 to the reason. The reasons, and actually reasons, in verses 3 through 16. And I'm going to try to go through this quickly, but enough so you can understand. And so here's what we're going to ask. What specifically was causing the psalmist to doubt the goodness of God? What was it? Like what threatened his faith so much that he was considering walking away for good? Well, I think there's two reasons. And I... I wanted to categorize the reason as like one's shallow and one's deeper, but I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to downplay any one of these reasons, but I, I think one reason or this first reason is going to be more of a kind of a, something that's maybe on, on top. And then there's going to be something that's on the bottom. That's kind of motivating that. Does that make sense? And so the first reason that we see is envy, envy. He had become jealous of the prosperity of the wicked Right, so I'm going to sum up verses 3 through 12 for you, okay? I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to sum up those verses. He noticed that those who had lived their lives, so, so the wicked or the ungodly in Psalms is always, you can always kind of read it as those who live their life like there is no God. So anytime you come across wicked or ungodly in the Psalms, you know, you think wicked, you think of like, oh, you know, like some sort of like, I don't know. Help me out here. You know what I mean? Some sort of like witch or warlock or like casting spell. It just means people living their lives as if there are no God. So we have a lot of wicked people in this room. <laughs> right? Christians can live wickedly. You can profess Christ and not live by the word. Okay. So let me move forward. Uh, verses 3 through 12, he notices, right, that the wicked 
right? Those who live as if there is no God. He noticed that they're more wealthy. They're more healthy. They're more physically fit. They're better looking. <laughs> we Christians, we some ugly folk, aren't we? Just playing, that's a joke. Don't take that personal. Speak for myself, right? But he just, he's just, he just noticing like they're just, ah, sometimes I get in trouble. We're not, we're beautiful people. Amen, amen, amen. Like, but like they're healthy, they're wealthy. You know, they're good looking, they're working out. You know what I'm saying? And they're just so carefree. Read it, it's in the text. And then he notices that those who are living their lives as if there were no God, they have more money, more power, more respect, more influence. They're influencers, (laughs) literally. You with me? And he says, I'm noticing that while at the same time, they're more arrogant. (laughs) They're more violent. They're more boastful and foolish. Sounds like Instagram. Maybe not Instagram, but TikTok or something. Listen, there was jealousy there. There was envy there. I want what they have. But do you hear there's a deeper thing going on? There's injustice. Write that down, injustice, because this is the deep thing, right? There's like a, there's some, there's an idol underneath the idol. There's a, there's a motivating factor somewhere, right? There's injustice. What do I mean by that? Well, while the wicked are prospering, I'm over here suffering. I'm over here suffering, right? Did you see how it just got personal? And you know what's really funny to me, really interesting to me? You know, what if the psalmist wasn't suffering? Probably wouldn't even care. It's weird, right, how that works? Right? But, but it's personal. It's, I'm, I'm also, it's not just, oh, they're prospering, but I'm suffering. All of a sudden, you're questioning God. But if everything was going all good, maybe you wouldn't even have saw all that. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail for another day. In verses three through, uh, 13 through 16, I think there's some of the rawest expressions of feelings in the, entire, in the entire scriptures. When you just kind of read through those three verses, it may not come off that way, especially in our English translation. But, but let me just say this. Can I just sum up what those three verses say? It, it's as if the psalmist was saying, I feel like serving God has been a waste of time. I'm not allowed to say that without getting struck by lightning. He, it's as if the psalmist is saying, this whole thing is a waste of my time. Go back and read it for yourself. He seems to be saying, what do I have to show for my obedience? He seems to be saying, what reward have I received for my faithfulness? All I see is the wicked living the high life. Well, not a day goes by that I don't experience some kind of pain. That's what he says. He says, they're out doing it up. And every day, he says, I'm being corrected, rebuked, and afflicted. And when he uses the word affliction, which means there might be something in his body. So there's a pain. There's a diagnosis. There's something that he's having to deal with every day. 
in his body and he feels like he's being punished, corrected, rebuked all day long. Every time he opens up the Bible, I, and yet they're out there. Y'all with me? It's in the text. He says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. That's what that means. All in vain. Like, what did I do this for? I'm denying my flesh. I'm trying to, you know, stay righteous. I'm trying to deny sin. And what do I get? Oh, come on. There's got to be a few people in here have felt that way or are feeling that way. Or maybe what day is it? Just depends on the day. This is heavy. Look, listen, more than just a shallow case of envy, the psalmist was experiencing a deep sense of personal injustice. Why do the wicked prosper and the just suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? That's it. That's the core. All right, we're talking about the wrestle and we're talking about the reasons for the wrestle. Now, I want to, man, I want to give you, I want to, as we process in the presence of God, I just want to give you like what I think are three lies that the psalmist is believing, okay? And I would hope that you would take note, take a picture, maybe do nothing, I don't know. But I would hope that you would learn a lesson for yourself as you are identifying the wrestle that you're going through. Amen? So there are three lies the psalmist was believing about himself and about the ungodly that I want to expose, and I think we're really feeding into his disillusionment and doubt, okay? Number one, are you ready for this? Big one. He exaggerated their success. You know, you guys do this on Instagram all the time, right? We all have been conditioned to think that people's lives look like what they post, And every one of us in this room, when we post, we use the right filter and we post the highlight, right? Even, and this is before Instagram, this is like ESPN. Like ESPN doesn't show boring, you know what I'm saying? Like it shows you the action packed, the things that are going to get clicks and watches, the home runs, the slam dunks, the alley-oops. Are you guys with me? The touchdowns, like it's the highlight reel as if everyone who is wicked is constantly living in a highlight reel. But can I tell you, and this isn't even biblical, but it's, I think it's biblical, not all that glitters is gold. You would be surprised if you sat down in the house of these folks that demonstrate externally like they got it all. They're good looking. They got a lot of money. They got a lot of followers. They got a lot of influence. They got a lot of fame. Everything you want in this world, they have. And yet, if you were to go behind the camera... If you were to go behind the scene, if you were to analyze their lives, you'd realize that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And this psalmist in his embitterness and this psalmist in his anger and frustration, he has exaggerated their success. Because there's no possible way that he can know every detail of every part of their lives. It would be wrong for you to assume that just because someone is outwardly successful, that they have it all together. But you see how what doubt is doing? It's blinding. It's personal. Number two, 
Then he magnifies his problems. Right? Magnifies his problems. This, that, the other, just making them giant, huge, big. And he's comparing that to the magnification or the exaggeration of their success. You start marrying those two things together, going to be in trouble. As he fell into the trap of comparison, he focused in on all that he didn't have. You with me? He was so blinded by his envy that he was unable to see the places and spaces where God was present. (laughs) And sometimes that's like something you only see when you look back at your life. You know, something about faith, sometimes you have to hold on in the circumstance. Right? Because we live by faith and not by sight. And so some, sometimes the circumstance and the situation is presenting itself as if God isn't good. And then you come out on the other side and you look and say, man, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> the worst time in my life became the best time in my life. If that didn't happen, then this wouldn't happen. And I wouldn't have come out on the other side stronger and faithful. Are you with me? And I was speaking from experience. But when you're in it, when you're in it, when you're seeing, feeling, sensing, experiencing, you're exaggerating, you're magnifying. But when you come out, when you remain faithful despite what you see, you hold on, you come out and you look back and you say to God be the glory. I didn't realize what was going on. I didn't realize what he was doing. (sighs) Hold on. Maybe that's the word. Hold on. Despite what you're feeling, sensing, experiencing, hold on. He is good. He is faithful. And if you don't know that for yourself, pull an older saint aside. Go to dinner. Go to lunch. Have coffee with somebody who's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. You know one thing I've learned? Got eight minutes. You know one thing that I've learned? <laughs> one thing that I've learned is that God does many miracles every day. And we don't pause. You don't. You don't have time to pause. Something I barely started doing this year, and I'm not trying to be the hero of my sermon, but I just want to share. It's been a blessing. It's called a prayer of examine. And I don't do it right, and I don't do it all the time. But at the end of the night, I sit down. I have a journal, and I recall the events of the day. And I, I, I ask for forgiveness where I sinned, and I praise God where his intervention came in. And you know what I've discovered ever since I've done that? There are many miracles happening every day that I do not praise God for, that I don't focus on, that I don't see and I don't understand. Y'all don't know. I wish I had time to give you some stories, but I don't. (laughs) In fact, I've become convicted that I don't say thank you enough. What you would realize if you pause to examine your day, you realize you have more to say thank you than to complain about. You don't want to, I mean, it's a wow, that's good, that's good. You don't really want to do that though. Because you don't got the time. We could be so ungrateful. <laughs> Listen, a life that does not pause for daily praise is in danger of doubt. A life that does not pause for daily praise is in danger of daily doubt. Number three. 
He exaggerates their success. He magnifies his problems. And then he embellishes his righteousness. Right? God, I'm so faithful. I'm so obedient. Look at my heart. It's pure. It's clean. And no doubt he's probably been doing the external things. Are you with me? Y'all laugh at that because it's true. Right in his bitterness, he felt like he was getting, he, he, in his bitterness, he felt like he was getting what he did not deserve. Ooh, that's tricky. If you're going to start talking about what you do and don't deserve with God, be careful. Be careful. If you're going to debate with God about what you deserve, be careful. Be careful. You know what the Bible says in Jeremiah, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. The Bible says in Psalm 53 that no one is righteous. Not one. The Bible says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us for the wages of sin is what? Death. If you really want to talk about what you deserve with God, who's infinitely righteous, infinitely good, and infinitely holy, you need to be really, really careful. Because you're always going to come on the wrong end of that. What we deserve is judgment. We have failed, and we have failed miserably. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Because where we have failed, he has succeeded. And on that cross, every sin, every failure was nailed. And he was punished for us on our behalf. So that in him, those who would believe, those who would have faith in Christ Jesus, we would receive an eternal reward as if we lived his life. Perfect. And so if you want to talk about rewards, and you want to talk about what you do and don't deserve, be very, very careful because it's an argument you're going to lose with a righteous and holy and good God. You're not perfect. D despite what your mom says, you're not a princess. <sighs> right? And I'll just throw my, you know, I'm the, I'm the baby of the family. Oh, he's so sweet. He doesn't do anything wrong. Yeah, right. That's my best friend. Take him out. He'll tell you. <laughs> Don't do that. It's just a, you know, God doesn't owe us blessings. Are you with me? He doesn't owe us blessings. He doesn't owe us. And maybe you've been attending churches that have convinced you that he does. Some of you are still, we're, listen, we're listening to messages, listening to preachers, prosperity, health, wealth. If you just do this, this, and this, then God will give you this. And you're on, it's on your TikTok, it's on your Instagram. You think it's super godly. It's such an encouraging word. All it is is filling up your flesh, making God look like he's a genie. And then all of a sudden, you're suffering. And you're like, wait a minute, I prayed. How come God, that's not how God works. Christians are the most who suffer in this life. Just go read. Look back at Christianity. And if you have a problem with it, look at Jesus. Perfect. Made no mistakes yet. He suffered the most. What does that do for your prosperity theology? When you say yes to Jesus, you said yes to picking up a cross. You said yes to crucifying the flesh. You said yes to a struggle. I know something like, wait a minute. But that's okay. I'd rather you know the truth now than be bamboozled. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for denying your flesh. You're going to suffer for standing up for Christ. You're going to get rejected. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to feel alone sometimes. Okay. Got to move on. Whew. The wrestle... The reason, and finally, verse 17 through 28, the resolve. 
And I got like six things <laughs> that all could be turned into a sermon, but I promise you I'm not going to do that. I may like just touch on one or two, okay? Um, number one, what did, what did he do? What did he do? How did, how did he? Give me, give, me the, give me the answer. How do I overcome doubt, right? Number one, are you ready for this? He went to church. <laughs> he went to church. Yeah, you don't like that one. You know, we live in a culture that is belittling attendance at church. It's, it's, it's statistically true, right? It's just, you, you just see it now. Like, you know, way, way back in the day, you know, all the, all, the, all the older people that you don't want to emulate, they went to church like eight times a Sunday. You know what I mean? They went morning and night, right? <laughs> older generations like, yup, <laughs> right? But, but some of us like, well, no, like some of y'all were fake, <laughs> And, you know, and some of you, you know, like we went to church so much that the house was stressful. We were yelling and cussing and we got, you know what I mean? And some of you are like, no, we need rest. Like that's good too. We want to enjoy the Lord, right? So there's a generation that kind of swung the pendulum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's good too. Praise God. We don't have night services anymore. To God be the glory. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of you are like, okay, I'm not going back to that church. Um. But, you know, we are increasingly devaluing attendance. And, and, you know, the Bay Area is the tip of the spear with post-Christianity. Europe's already there. Right? Christianity is, it's post-Christian in Europe. Right? In, in, in the United States, we're not quite there yet. But the Bay Area is moving the fastest in that direction. Right? So churches are becoming relics in Europe. You go and visit it, not to worship, to take photos. Y'all hear me? Like, we're moving in that direction. But you know what he said? And I'm not making this up. In verse 17, he says, until, he says, until, right? I, I thought all of this up. And then he says, I stepped into the sanctuary. That's what those do doors are. I mean, I know this is a hotel. <laughs> and some of you walked in and thought we were like selling you Amway or something, right? This is like, until I walked through the doors of the Crown Plaza on Sunday morning. And you might be thinking, what the heck does that have to do anything? He, he prioritized the gathering of the saints. Hmm. Probably not the best sermon on, in the summer. <laughs> or maybe the best sermon in the summer. Who knows? Right? He engaged in rhythms of community and, and it brought him life. In a culture that devalues church attendance, the psalmist, the psalmist reminds us that he almost slipped. That he almost fell until he stepped into the sanctuary. You see, all week long, the rat race was beating him up. Amen? Anybody in that? All week long, the influences of the world scrolling were bombarding his brain. Are you with me? But when he stepped into the crown plaza, when she stepped into the crown plaza, y'all know what I'm doing, right? When, when, they stepped, when he stepped into the sanctuary, he prayed the word in community. He read the word in community. He sang the word in community. He listened to the word preached in community. He took notes in community. He was encouraged in community. They worshiped in community. Y'all with me? They fellowshiped. They, they encouraged in community. He sang the word, heard the word, took note of the word, prayed the word. And the scripture says, and the scripture says we, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And it was in the sanctuary where his soul was replenished. Come on. His heart was refreshed. 
his brain was reminded and his faith was restored. Y'all see that? It's in the church. Come on, young people. It's in the church. It's in the church. It's not an individual thing. Yes, Christianity is individual, but it's also corporate. You, it's a two-legged stool. You can't remove one and think you're going to be okay. We're so inconsistent. We're so influenced by the temple of this world. And yet when you walk in this room, you hear the word. You sing the word. You pray the word. You read the word. Moving forward. And my time almost finished. Of these six tools, I'm trying to think, which is the last one I want to give you? I'm, I'm, this will go quick. He, he adjusted his focus, right? That's what happened. When the word got inside, he changed his way. And he, the scripture says he discerned their end, right? He began to think. He was spiritually nearsighted. Yeah. You know, in, in nearsighted is inability to see beyond what's in front of you. And that's what the world does. Right? That's what digital distraction through all your scrolling does. Right? That's what you, when you're out there in, in the rat race trying to get your money and your career, trying to buy a house, it's all right here. You're nearsighted. You're nearsighted. And God says, don't you know all that's going to burn up? Don't you know that all your pursuits and ambitions in this life are going to be tested by fire? And so you're nearsighted. And you can't see beyond what's in front of you. No wonder why you think they're successful because you're not discerning what's coming. And I wish I could unpack that, but I got to move on. I have a few more, but I want to invite the team to get ready. <clears throat> you know what the scripture says in verse 18? Um, it says all of a sudden he began to see that they were on a slippery slope. I don't know if you caught that. Can we put the, uh, oh, no, you're good, you're good. There's the, there it is right there. He says, you set them in slippery. Right? Remember in the opening line, he said, I almost slipped. But then he walks into the sanctuary. And then he discerns their end. And he realized, wait, it's not my feet that are on shaky ground. It's theirs. Because they have put their ultimate joy. Hear me. They have put their ultimate hope. They have put everything on what they can achieve right now. And all of that can go away. A fire can take your house. An accident can take your children. Are you hearing me? You can get laid off in that career that you thought was your. Corporate America does not care about you. It doesn't love you the way you love them. And if you put your primary pursuit in this life, in relationships, and attraction, and finance, and wealth, all of that goes away. All of it goes away. It all burns in fire. And when you die, you can't take none of that with you. So when you die and you stand before the Lord and your pursuits are burned up, what remains? <laughs> what remains? But God, I want to do this in life. I want to get married. I want to have kids. Right? I used to do all that, right? Especially like when you grow up in church. Like, God, don't come back until I have three kids, a house, a yacht. <laughs> like, God, just, just, I love you, but like, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to prosper here now, right? That's what we're saying. We're just such, such nearsighted, right? And I get it. Like, we want to see, touch, feel, sense. Like, oh, that's important. But man, we need to understand there's something greater. 
How y'all doing? Okay. So the last thing I want to say is this, is we need to learn to doubt our doubts. Because you see what happened? He flipped the script in the house of God. Instead of looking at his slippery slope, he looked at theirs. You know what you do? You spend so much energy and effort doubting where you're at, your faith. That's what we do. You know, in order to be in a place, you got to leave a place. You know that, right? Like, right, you, you, in order to, you have to stand in a place, it means you got to vacate a place. That's what belief is. So when I believe in Jesus, then I'm abandoning a belief in something else. Even if you're an atheist, that's your belief. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you can't prove God. But you can't disprove him neither. So I'm like, wait a minute, you can prove God, Pastor Phil. <laughs> but I'm saying, at the, like, you're just stripping away. It's all belief. You are trusting in somebody's word. All of us. We're trust. Maybe somebody communicated us. Maybe friends told us. Maybe we saw. We, we're all putting a trust in either what the world is saying to you. Packaging and marketing. Pat, are you with me? Like there's a world that is sending their word. And then there's God and his word. And you have to try. No matter where you go. Whether you're a skeptic. Whether you're a seeker or a believer. It's all a position of belief. In order to be in one place, you have to abandon another. And what I find with Christians is you spend so much time and energy doubting where you're at. And what you should do sometimes as a technique is to turn your doubt away from your faith and doubt the doubt. There's a reason why you're here and not there anymore. Remember why. Remember who you were. Remember what God did. Doubt your doubt. You think it's so intellectual and so you have so many issues with, man, God, this, that, and that. Why don't you just turn it around and realize how anti-intellectual being here is? I, there's so much I want to say. I have to finish. If you want my notes, I can send them to you. If I, um, you might not be able to read it, but I'll do my best. But I... I I want you to notice at the very end, and maybe if we can go to the last slide, there's three more, I think. Yeah. At the very end, and we all heard it, right, as I was reading. Everyone started to stir up, right? It was, we were about to have a praise break, right? Typically, this church is silent, but y'all started to shake. When he said, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You see what he finally concluded? You see the total turnaround? You see, when he started this psalm, he desired everything but God. He desired all the wealth and all the health. Are you with me? All the money, all the things, the material gain, the looks, all the prosperity of the wicked. And then as he processed in the presence of God, as he stepped into the sanctuary, as he started to see with eternity in mind, as his focus shifted, all of a sudden he said, God, all I want is you. Let everything burn in the fires of judgment. Take everything away, but don't take your presence from me. Because at the end of the day, when all that's stripped away and it's just me and you in eternity, I will have the pleasure that I've sought after. I will have the wealth unimaginable. I will have all these things because you are the wealth. You are the pleasure. You are the joy. You are my hope. Yes, 
You know what he did right there? You know what worship is? It's worth, right? It's worth. It's ascribing worth to something or someone. When I worship, I place value. I place my ultimate value. And when you value something, you, you obey it, you pursue it. You with me? And so that's why we say worship isn't just a song. It's a pursuit of your life. What you value is what you pursue. And I want you to know early on the psalmist started to put his worth, his worship and value in all of the temporary things. But by the end, after he's walked through and he's processed in the presence of God, he said, you are my ultimate treasure. Christ is our reward. You're either going to be enslaved to the world or enslaved to Christ. But I want you to, one is a taskmaster that will kill you. And another one is the one who laid down his life for you. Decide what slavery you want to be in. so we could stand. I'm going to tell you before we finish why Christ is my reward. He's my reward because I'm a sinner. He's my reward because I'm a failure. He's my reward because there's shame. There's pain in my past. There's sin, even now. He's my reward because even though I'm all those things, he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. He's my reward. He's my treasure because he did that for me. And then he went to the cross and he died a death that a criminal deserves, though he was innocent. He's my treasure because he went to the cross and he died on that cross for my sake, for my behalf, because I deserve punishment, right? I have broken the laws of God. Like, I, it's not hard for me to admit I fail all the time. And I hope many of you will be humble enough to say, I am a failure. But on that cross, Jesus said, I'll take the punishment that you deserve and I'll take it from you. And so on that cross, he's my treasure and my reward because the eternal punishment I deserve, he took. But that wasn't just it. On that cross, when I put my faith in Jesus, you know what he gave to me? He gave me his perfection. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He stripped me of all the sin and then he gave to me his robes of righteousness so that when God looks down, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus. And on that cross, he's my treasure because he secured my eternity. Now I can enter into the presence of the Lord forever, not as a sinful man, but as someone who's been made righteous in Jesus Christ. And though I do battle with temptation and I want to live the high life right now, trust me, I fall for that all the time. I know that eternity is my reward. I have an eternal perspective. And I know that when I stand before the Lord and everything burns up, my car, my house, my bank account, my retirement, all of that stuff. Like when I stand before the Lord and all that burns up, the one thing that's going to remain is my treasure, and that's him. That's him. And we're just going to pray this final part of the psalm as we leave this place. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, whom have I in heaven but you? <laughs> whom have I in heaven but you? Heavenly Father, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Thank you, Lord. 
Listen, my flesh, God, might fail. My heart may falter sometimes, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion, not just now, but for eternity, forever. God, I know that people who are far from you will perish. I know that you're going to put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near to you. Lord, I have made you my refuge. I have made you my refuge. God, I, I run and I hide in you and I am safe. Thank you. And not only do I thank you, but I will declare of your good works all the days of my life. For you alone are worthy of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Inspire Church. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspirechurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.